Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Rebecca Jewell. Rebecca is the executive director of the National Kitten Coalition. She has more than 10 years' experience in animal welfare, primarily at two public shelters in the greater Washington, D.C. area. Rebecca has created and managed multiple outreach programs and has supervised front-counter operations. She even spent some of her career working at a reduced-cost, high-volume spay-neuter clinic. Her first love, however, is foster programs. Seeing the need for temporary, out-of-shelter housing and care for felines, especially kittens, prompted the creation of foster programs at two very different shelters. And in both cases, the community embraced the program. Over the years, she has sent more than 2,000 animals to foster care, including many neonatal and sick kittens. She believes that foster programs not only save lives, they galvanize communities and inspire staff and volunteers. Rebecca currently resides in Northern Virginia with her husband and a rescued feline, Henry Marmalade Hobbs, her only foster failure, in 10 years. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stacey. I'm happy to be here. Wow. I am so impressed that you have only had one foster failure in 10 <laughs> years. <laughs> I live with two failures and I have had many over the years. It doesn't get any easier. The more fostering you do, I found it almost got harder. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, that's true, actually, because I didn't adopt Henry until about three years ago. So the more I fostered, the harder and harder it became. And that's not to say I haven't been tempted. I've actually been tempted by a couple of cats, a kitten, a dog. I can remember them all very clearly. And even a rabbit at one point, I almost adopted a rabbit. So yeah, there's been temptations along the way for sure. But uh, as your listeners probably know, there's this connection, this instant connection that you have with certain animals that's just, you just... It's a soul connection. I don't know how else to say it. He's my furry soulmate is what I tell people. So, so Rebecca, how did you find your first love with regards to, to cats? How did you get started in the field? Oh, gosh. Well, I think it's in my blood, quite frankly. Um, my mom, for some reason, is a magnet for pregnant cats. Uh, so growing up, just invariably in the spring, I'm from Ohio originally, these pregnant cats would like end up on our doorstep. I have There was like this homing beacon that went out from our house. We grew up with kittens and cats, my sister and I did. And actually now my, my mom and sister volunteer and foster for a local rescue organization back in Ohio. Yeah, I started uh, volunteering at a local humane society back in Ohio with cats and their fundraising committee. And my husband got a job in the D.C. area, his dream job, actually. And so I thought, well, if I'm moving states, why don't I try looking for my dream job, too? So I applied at a local shelter and lo and behold, couldn't believe it, got a job at an animal shelter as a volunteer coordinator. And I'll never forget the job description. It was all this stuff about in-house volunteer management. And there's this one little bitty line about, oh, and create and manage a foster program. And I had no idea what I was getting into. Got started and I thought, this is really overwhelming. Oh my gosh, where am I going to start? This was like 11 years ago. So did a lot of research and built a foster program I was pretty proud of. We started pretty much with no fosters back in fall of 2006. And I mean, it was a long haul. I mean, I'm not going to 
try to sugarcoat anything in terms of your listeners. It's, you know, it's a lot of work anytime you start a program. So I would say by the third summer, though, I, I really felt good about our numbers. And we had a really strong, strong foster program and a lot of foster volunteers to the point that I wasn't taking home kittens like every week, which was great. And the following year in summer of 2010, I, I'll just never forget the statistic. I, I was like shocked. I had to do my math like two or three times to make sure I had it right. But we had a 97% survival rate for neonatal kittens. And I was just floored. And, and part of that had to do with Rosemary Crawford and Susan Spaulding, who were the founders of the National Kitten Coalition. The shelter I worked at was really the first shelter that they had worked with when they first got started because there was such a need for people to know how to care for neonatal kittens and just kittens in general. So that strong educational underpinning combined with the foster program management that I had just really paid huge dividends. And we were just thrilled and the community was thrilled. And of course, the shelter staff were thrilled because when I started, neonatal kittens were euthanized. And that was a pretty common practice back then because there were no overnight staff to care for them. And they do require pretty extensive care, especially the younger they are. So they were really pleased with it too. It really helped. The volunteers were thrilled. We were thrilled. The staff was just ecstatic because it was heartbreaking for them to euthanize these kittens. They didn't want to do it. So it was amazing. It was one of the most amazing feelings, which is why to this day, I mean, I've done mobile adoption units. I've worked at spay neuter clinics, done events. I've done all kinds of stuff, but foster programs are my first love by far. And I think it stems from that experience. It seems to me oftentimes in many programs that the foster program 10 years ago, maybe it was a PS, as you said, you read your list of your duties. Oh, and by the way, you're in charge of the foster program. And it seems like now we're looking at foster programs as its own standalone program from your adoption program. Is that what you're seeing trend wise with the organizations that you work with? Oh, absolutely. When I first started in the DC area, I was Actually, I, I do recall, I don't believe that there were any foster coordinators where that was like their only job. Typically, it was, oh, you do volunteer management. Oh, and by the way, do you know foster program. Or, oh, you do humane education. Oh, by the way, do foster. It was like a by the way, by the way, by the way. It was included amongst other duties. And, and managing a foster program is it's intensive volunteer management is what I call it. It's volunteer management and then some. So yeah, that's the trend that I found. And then as the years went on, I started seeing that more and more organizations were breaking apart the volunteer and foster component. So maybe it became volunteer, became its own thing, volunteer management, in-house volunteers or what have you, events and so forth if you're a rescue and don't have a physical space. And then the foster program became this foster program plus transfer placement. So I've seen, the other trend I've seen is instead of calling individuals foster coordinators, they become placement coordinators or placement transfer coordinators or whatever. So even the name has kind of changed a little bit to include any kind of live release component of which foster is a part of it. So yeah, I've seen a lot of changes over the years with that. And what's most thrilling to me is to actually see positions that are just foster coordinator. That's all you do. I mean, for me, that would have been a luxury. That did not happen for me. The first shelter I worked at, I did volunteer and transfer and I created a foster program. And then the second shelter. I was really the community relations manager and my main function was to manage the front counter, but I did the mobile adoption unit and, and events and I helped with some of the social media and I started a pet pantry and I started a friends group. And then I saw that the foster program really didn't exist. 
And I thought, oh, this this isn't going to work for me. You got to have a foster program. So I did that too. So yeah, it's all of this kind of like, oh, and by the way, do a foster program. But for me, foster programs are critical. They really are a critical part of a, of a shelter and rescue. Have you seen any organizations have partnerships? Rescues tend to be foster first because they don't have a brick and mortar shelter. So have there been any relationships with rescue programs and shelters to sort of dovetail together? Has that happened? It has happened. I've actually had personal experience with that. The first shelter that I worked at, every you know, it really comes down to relationships in animal welfare. I say that all the time. I really loved managing volunteers. I'm not saying it wasn't difficult. I'm not naive. There were difficulties along the way, but I really loved managing volunteers and especially loved managing fosters. I, I mean, I really did. And then that transferred over into helping with our rescue partnership network that we had. And I formed really good relationships with especially a lot of the focus groups because that was my particular area, of course. There were a couple groups in particular. We had this combination going on where we would have cats in the shelter on a Friday night. And a lot of these rescue groups, they would do adoptions on Friday nights and Saturdays, a very weekend focus, which I think is pretty common. I would stay late at the shelter on Friday night after we closed on purpose for like two, three hours. And there would be a person who would sign out the cats as a foster, quote unquote, for two to three hours or what have you, and would basically showcase our cats at another venue and help us get adoptions in that way. So there's really creative ways. That's the thing I always tell people in animal welfare. Having been from Ohio and in the D.C. area, I know this is a very affluent area, and I always try to remember that we're very fortunate in the resources that we do have around here. But you can be creative. There are ways to help save lives. And I think, like I said, a big part of that comes down to the relationships and just really thinking outside the box to be cliche about what other options exist out there. And I've never really had issues when I've brought up ideas to my management or to our rescue partners. There may be differences in how to get there, but we all want to get to the point of saving lives. So there's all kinds of creative things that you can do. When I managed the mobile adoption unit, the bus, as we called it, at the other shelter I worked at, we would have have rescue groups who would, we would save a couple of the cages for them to bring cats on board so we could showcase their cats as well. So there's all kinds of ways that you can work like a foster program and a transfer partner relationship to save more lives. We've had a couple of other representatives from the National Kitten Coalition on our show. Marnie Russ was on and she was on very early in the Community Cats podcast and she's episode number eight if folks want to look up her show. And then we also had Laura on, who is episode number 165, and she was talking about the kitten nursery manual that the National Kitten Coalition has just published. But Rebecca, I thought maybe you could share with us some of the other things that the National Kitten Coalition is working on these days. Yeah, sure. Well, we are mainly an educational organization. That's not to say that our team members don't foster because we do, but we foster for our local rescues and shelters. And most of us are in the D.C. area, not all of us. We do have a team member in California and another team member down in North Carolina, but most of us are in the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. So like I said, we foster for our local rescues and shelters, but I like to say we practice what we teach. So we go around the country and teach workshops on a 
variety of topics. One of the things that I'm really proud of is that we tailor our workshops to what people need from us. One of the things that I've really come to realize is having worked in, I also worked for a spay-neuter clinic for a little while, and these are all in three different counties in Northern Virginia. And you can be a county adjacent and have a very different community, a very different vibe, a very different personality. And what I've really come to realize is every community is as unique as a cat's nose print, essentially. There's this need for people who run these shelters and rescues. They have very unique challenges that they need to have addressed. And so we, we really try to do that. We really try to work with them when we come into town to teach a workshop. And if they want us to talk about upper respiratory, we talk about that. If they're interested in fading kitten syndrome, we address that. Or if they just want some information on how to bottle feed kittens, we can talk about that. So we really talk to them about what their challenges are and, and how we can help them address those challenges. Because at the end of the day, we want to partner with them and help them save more lives. So we're also getting ready to launch a webinar program, which we're pretty excited about. We know not everybody can travel to a workshop or bring us into town for a workshop. So we'll be launching webinars this spring. We're excited about that, as well as the consultations program, which will probably launch later this spring as well. You have a lot on your list of things to do. Well, you know, animal welfare, your list is always as long as your arm and (laughs) there's never enough hours in the day. There's always so much to do and it's an exciting field and I I think that's why we push ourselves. We're all very passionate people on the coalition team and we love what we do. And I think when you love what you do and, and you see the positive effects that your work has, when we travel to conferences or we have workshops, we see people we've seen before. When you hear such positive things about the workshops that they've attended in the past, and how it's helped them. And that's why they came to another workshop because they want to learn even more. We love hearing that. We love hearing these stories. And we know that they love it too. We know that they love being successful and helping to save more lives and and hearing these particular stories about these particular kittens that were saved because of something they heard from one of our workshops. There's just no other feeling like it. I really do equate it to the feeling I used to get when I managed foster programs at animal shelters. It's just a priceless feeling, that feeling that what you're doing really is making a difference. And it's it's kind of like the whole parable about teaching other people to fish. We tell you how to help kittens and we give you materials and we want you to take those materials back to your organization and just share the wealth, spread the information around with your colleagues and, and staff and volunteers so that you can save more lives. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the listening module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the listening module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. As you travel around the country and you meet with different organizations and, and speak with different organizations, do you get a sense of any sort of geographic trends with regards to the different kitten issues that organizations have, or is it very spotty? I do think that there are unique challenges to every community. Like I said, even if you're in one county and you go one county over, there can be such a vast difference in that community's personality and and their strengths and, and the challenges that they have. 
In terms of geographical areas, it's interesting the conferences that I, I've been to. I've been to the New England Federation of Humane Societies Conference. I went last year and, and to hear some of the presentations about how there's transport programs of cats and kittens being brought up north. And then you go to other conferences and you hear about the South and we talk to people. We meet people at conferences. Like in, I remember we met a woman from Georgia who had a cat rescue group and she's like, oh my gosh, we're just so inundated with kittens and they're sick. And there's just so much to do and it's just so overwhelming. There's just not enough resources resources and so forth. So yeah, I think there's definite trends in geographical areas of the country. But the thing that I really like and what I see happening more and more is, and I think animal welfare has always been a very sharing sort of field, but I think with the advent of technology and social media, I think it's even become more so, which I really like. When I first started in the field 10, 11 years ago, not knowing where to start and where to go. I had a great mentor and my boss, but it was a lot of trial and error and research and going to conferences and getting business cards and emailing people and to get information to how to build a program and so forth. And I think social media has made that even easier than it used to be in the past. And there's so many more opportunities for resources and things that are out there. And there's more webinars and there's more conferences. And, and so I think that there's more help than there ever used to be. But I also think that there are still some challenges that exist across the country. And they vary by region. And even, like I said, county by county. Right. You brought up an interesting point, though, about technology and the growth of technology over the last 10, 20 years, which is, I agree with you 100%. It's huge. And you talk about a foster program being intensive volunteer management. Are there any sort of specific tools like Google Docs or something else that you recommend to organizations to use when managing their foster care programs? In talking about building a foster program, one of the first things I talk about is having a really strong foundation. I'm a very linear, I like to have like a step-by-step process because I want programs to be successful and, and to have longevity beyond my length of stay at an organization. So it's important that there's, like I said, a good foundation. And so that includes whatever types of data management that you're going to have and documents that you're going to have for your fosters and for your organization. Google Docs can work really well. I know that there's some organizations I've even talked to when I was still working in sheltering and even now with the National Kitten Coalition. We don't have any money for a foster program. That's a pretty common thing that I hear over and over again is, you know, we don't have any money to manage a foster program or have just a foster coordinator. And I didn't have any kind of fancy software or anything in terms of having a database of the fosters that I had. I just used Excel and I made Excel work just fine. But, you know, there's all kinds of things out now. I mean, OneDrive, Google Drive, there's Dropbox. I know a lot of groups who use Dropbox. Like you said earlier, and I mentioned rescue groups, a lot of rescue groups, they don't have a brick and mortar building. They don't have a physical space. So, they're all working remotely from their home. So again, technology makes that so much more, it's so much easier than it used to be in the past. So, I mean, you would just be emailing docs back and forth, whereas now you can work in a shared space, which is great. And like I said, the social media makes a big difference. You can have closed groups and communicate with each other and everyone has a smartphone that they can carry around with them or a tablet or what have you. So there's good and bad with that because on the one hand, you're very connected, but on the other hand, you're very connected. There's also a balance. And that's one of the other things I believe with foster program management too is 
it can be hard to maintain that balance. And I always really tried to be really in tune with what was going on with the foster programs I managed and with the people, the volunteers that I managed, because a lot of them won't say no if you ask them to foster a kitten back to back to back to back to back. And that can be exhausting. They can suffer from compassion fatigue, just like staff can. So being connected, but taking time to recharge, you have to take care of yourself first. If you're not taking care of yourself, you can't really help others. If you drain yourself to your tank is on zero. Technology has just been amazing. And then the opportunity to use technology to have mentoring programs. I mean, you can take some of the weight off of a foster coordinator, a foster manager via mentoring. That's one of the things that I used a lot. You bring fosters and volunteers along, your seasoned pros, as I would call them. And they love it, actually. They love being brought along and trusted to do more, helping the newbies along. And there is something to be said when you're a staff member. Some volunteers and fosters, even if you're the friendliest person with an open door policy, there's a different vibe when a new volunteer can talk to another volunteer versus a new volunteer talking to you as the boss, the foster manager. So there's a different vibe. There's a, well, this foster volunteer has been where I've been. I'm a foster manager. I've been where you are too. I was a newbie. Susan Spalding, who's with our group, a lot of people call her the kitten mom. She loves to tell this story about how she first met me and the first time I held a neonatal kitten, this itty bitty little kitten in my hand. And, and she said it was hilarious. You, It's like you froze. You didn't know what to do. You thought you were going to break this little kitten. She was like, your face was hilarious. I'm like, yeah, it's real funny. I've been where they are. But yeah, having that connection from a newbie volunteer to a seasoned volunteer, seasoned foster makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, technology's just been amazing. I'm just, I'm so thrilled with how animal welfare rescue groups, even groups who don't have a lot of funding have been able to really leverage technology to save more lives. So based on what you've seen, what is the situation looking like for community cats in your area? Well, the great thing about the greater D.C. area is that there's several people, several groups that have been involved with TNR and community cats and feral cats for a number of years. Even the first shelter I worked at 11 years ago, my boss was very connected to the community cats and TNR groups. The shelter worked with these groups and started a, a program where in the state of Virginia, each jurisdiction gets a certain amount of money from a license plate, the spay neuter license plate fund. And so we would use this money, which had to go towards spay and neuter of, of cats and dogs, to help some of these TNR and community cat groups. So they would come to the shelter. And there was a whole program that was in place. And it took a couple of years to get it going because it's government. So there was a lot of paperwork and a lot of red tape, but we got it to work. And so that was amazing because what would happen is, and I strongly believe in the foundation building of a foster program, because having that strong foundation and knowing how you're going to record your data can directly feed into other things that you're doing. And what my boss and I did at the first shelter I worked at is the data that I would gather from the foster program could feed into TNR and vice versa. So it really came in handy over the years. We could see trends. We could track where the number of kittens were coming from, from certain areas. And we could see there were certain pockets in our county that needed a little more addressing. And so my boss could go to these TNR groups and, and these people that she knew and talk to them and then work with them. And then they would go to those areas and work. And so there was this great symbiotic, really great relationship that we had going on to really start reducing these numbers. And we did start seeing reduction. I remember one particular summer, I remarked to my boss, I said, I haven't seen so-and-so 
yet this summer. And it was a person who, for the past couple of years, kept bringing kittens in after kittens, after kittens, after kittens. And we hadn't seen him. It was like midway through the summer. And I think we had actually made a dent in that area. And then there's another group, one county over. They're called the Loudoun Community Cat Coalition. We're really thrilled to know them and partner with them. They're just doing such amazing things in Loudoun County. And we're actually going to be presenting at the National Animal Care and Control Association Conference in October. And we're going to be talking a little bit about community cats and caring for kittens that are found when you're out helping community cats and trapping. And the presentation, if you're Billy Idol fans, you're going to get this. It's uh, Revel Yowl, How to Be a Community Cat and Kitten Crusader. So yeah, we're going to be presenting in October with that coalition. So yeah, there's just so many partnerships going on in the Northern Virginia, greater DC area. It's really great to see, especially because people are talking to each other. And I think there's a lot less judgment than there used to be in the past. I think there was this mistrust on both sides, like, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? I think that that has broken down a lot, which I'm thrilled to see. But also the biggest dividend that's paid from this type of partnering is that we are seeing the numbers of uh, euthanasias going down. There's been stuff all over social media about the live release rates and, and how many animals are being saved in this county, in this county, in this county, in the D.C. area. And it's it's great to see. It's just spreading out regionally. It's going out beyond just your locality to a regional sort of impact. Rebecca, if folks are interested in finding out more about the National Kitten Coalition or finding out about where you'll be presenting in the future, how can they find you? We have a website, so you can go to kittencoalition.org. You can also find us on Facebook, of course, facebook.com slash kittencoalition. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? If you check us out on our website or our Facebook page, we always try to keep those kitten crusaders out there, you know, informed of where we're going to be and what we're doing. And we'll let you know when the webinars are going to be launched so you can take a look at that. And yeah, there's all kinds of exciting things happening this year. In addition to the kitten nursery manual, which we uh, just published, and that's available for free download on our website. It's an amazing resource. It's up like a hundred some pages long. It's a good read though. It's not boring, I assure you. And there's information in there on foster programs and just kitten care. And even if you're not going to start a nursery, there's really good information about just how to care for kittens. I think you can glean something from this, this manual to help you. Rebecca, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on in the future. Yes, this was wonderful. Thank you so much, Stacy. Does your organization not have a clear vision of what its goals and objectives are? Does it seem like everyone on your board has a different idea of what you should be doing and how to do it? Well, I can help you with a visioning workshop. I offer affordable, quick and painless strategic planning services for a small organization. I can even offer my services virtually. Are you interested? Just reach out to me at Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com. 